Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trials stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. On our last episode, we began our examination of the testimony of Travis McMichael. In that episode, we covered McMichael's description of the Satilla Shores neighborhood as plagued by property crime. We also covered his testimony regarding the use of force training that he received in the U.S. Coast Guard. We ended the episode with Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski objecting to the effort by defense attorney Jason Sheffield to ask Travis McMichael about occasions that he has had to use firearms for protection after his service in the Coast Guard. Outside of your Coast Guard life and your Coast Guard work, did you own and carry firearms? Yes. Did you ever have to use those firearms before for protection? Yes, I have. All right, can you tell me about that? Uh, One time. Relevancy. It's relevant because he is carrying a gun in this case. He is carrying a gun, I believe. For this testimony will establish why and the fact that he's had experiences with having to do this before informs him and informs the decisions that he makes as a person under these circumstances so the fact that he's been in situations where he's had to use his gun to protect himself before uh, informs his decisions on also february 23rd relevance it's to sustained. what he did under these circumstances you're talking about something I'm talking about something he was doing in the Coast Guard. No, I'm talking about him as a private citizen where he's been out with a firearm, carrying a firearm before, where he's had to use it to protect himself. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could take a step into the jury room, please. All right, sir. We will be back with the arguments on that objection after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jason Sheffield began the sidebar with his argument for the admissibility of this line of questioning. I was following it as part of his Coast Guard training and experience. You're talking about something different? Yeah, I transitioned to it. I said, all right, now I want to talk about outside of the Coast Guard, not law enforcement, Coast Guard, but you just in your regular life outside of Coast Guard. You are a firearm, you carry firearms, and have you ever had to use a firearm to protect yourself before outside of the Coast Guard, you just as a regular citizen? Is it reported or, I mean, give me a proffer. Oh, he will testify that he's had two circumstances where uh, a person has come up to him, one at an ATM, where he had to 
go towards his gun, and it had the effect that he wanted on the person. They ran away. It deterred them. And the second, he was sitting in his car, and a, and a gentleman tried to carjack him, and he had to retrieve his gun and take it out, and it deterred the person, and the person ran away. This has now been informed him of how using his gun can de-escalate situations in his private citizen life as well, and that it can have that effect that ultimately, you know, can de-escalate the situation and protect himself. From the state. Neither of these instances involved the victim in this particular case. The fact that some guy came up to him at the ATM and I'm not clear what he did with his gun, pointed it at this person or did something else, and being carjacked, I'm unaware of any police report where he reported he'd been carjacked at all. So I'm not sure if there's a 911 call here that we don't have access to or some police report that we've not been given regarding this. The state is unaware of both of these instances. Um, and it's not really relevant to the reasonableness analysis that the jurors are going to have to make. So in the past, when I've been a robbed at an ATM or carjacked by someone, I defended myself with my handgun. So it's okay for me to pull a handgun out while I'm trying to force compliance for someone to talk to me? They're totally not equal on any level whatsoever. So I'm not sure about the relevance for how it how it comes into play in this case. Maybe addressed on cross-examination. I'll go ahead and permit it. Go ahead. With Judge Walmsley allowing the line of questioning, the jury was ushered back into the courtroom, and Travis McMichael retook the witness stand. I was, we were talking a little bit about now moving away from Coast Guard duty and just being a citizen here. Um, do you own firearms? I do. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to use your personal firearm to protect yourself? I have. Okay. Oh, Travis, yeah, put that to Thank you. Sorry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the circumstances of the first time? Yes. So I was living in Pascagoula, Mississippi. I was stationed at, in Mississippi at the time. It was 08 to 2012. I believe it was 2008 when it happened. <clears throat> Pascagoula got destroyed by Katrina. So there's a bunch of vacant lots and everything. One of them was a bank. And the bank was gone, but they had the ATM machine still in the vacant lot. It's a gas station. Coming through to get cash for, I think it was for the launch for the uh, station. I pull in, I see two younger males next to the side. Thought it was a little weird that they're paying attention to me and, and paying attention to people going in and out near there. So I stepped out of the truck and went to the ATM. As soon as I went to the ATM. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. Did you have a gun on you at the time? I, I did. What uh, kind of gun was it? It was a 1911 uh, U.S. Army service pistol. Did you have a permit or a license to carry? Yes, I had a concealed carry permit and it was a concealed weapon. Okay. All right, so you're at the ATM. What happened? Yep, and uh, as soon as I put my card in, uh, the two males approached on either side. Uh, one of them told me to give me his money. All I did was pull up my shirt and showed that I had a weapon and they turned and jumped the fence and was gone. Okay. I pulled the money out and went to work. Did you call the police or report? I didn't call the police on that because okay. that was it. All right. Um, what is the <clears throat> second time that you had to use your gun? I say use your gun. That time you didn't really have to use it, just showed it. No, I just okay. showed it. The second one was in Pascagoula as well. It was in 2012, 2011. And uh, 
I was going into work. We had a high value asset coming in. I was coming in at eight o'clock and uh road I was coming in on was on it was destroyed by Katrina. It was real dark. Everything was it was an industrial side of town. And we stopped at a red light, had the windows down in the truck, and sitting at the red light, listening to the music on the radio, somebody came to the passenger door and popped the lock and was opening the door on me. Did he stop you? Popping the lock, meaning was the window down? The window was down. He just popped it. It was a GMC, so it was right there. He popped it open right. and opened the door and uh, started yelling to get in the truck. So what You said he started yelling. Yes. I don't know what he was saying, but it was... He was, he was yelling. Okay. And uh, so I had the pistol between my had a holster between my seat, and I pulled the pistol out and, and pointed at him, told him to get out of my truck. He got out and ran off. I uh, got to the station, and we had three reservists that were actually with the police department there, told about it, and I believe we had a report made on it. Okay. Sheffield then moved his line of questioning back to the alleged environment of crime in the Satilla Shores neighborhood. All right, I want to focus your attention back to Cecilia Shores. Okay. <clears throat> Was there ever a time that <clears throat> you yourself um, tried to figure out if any particular person was involved in some of the crime that had been happening over that summer in 2019? Yes. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that circumstance? Yeah, so around... I believe it was July, 1st of July, my neighbor at the time, Kim Ballesteros, she had her purse stolen, or told us that, her purse stolen out of her vehicle. And uh, so we were, we neighbors talked about it, you know, this is something else has happened. Uh, a few days later, a week or so later, uh, I was coming back from a fishing trip. I have a boat doing charters on the side, and I was actually coming back to my house with some clients on Fancy Bluff Creek. On the water, in, okay. the, in my boat, yes. Okay. And uh, got under the bridge and saw a bunch of trash, tarps, and and uh, an old tackle box down there, and, and um, just a bunch of trash under the bridge. So this looks like a homeless camp, and it's very close to the neighborhood. There's a trail that goes to it, actually. Drove on by, started thinking that we just had, neighbor just had a uh, purse stolen, so... Let me check this out. This might be this homeless person, or if there is homeless people in there, these might be the ones going into the neighborhood. So I got back, uh, finished with the clients, and told my father that, I, yeah, hey, there's a looks like there's a homeless camp under the bridge. You know, this person just told me, I want to go see if there's anybody down there. And so I'll join you. So we get in my truck. Um, I was I carry a weapon everywhere. I got a concealed weapon, so I, I was on. Not sure if my dad was or not. So me and dad walked down the four-wheeler trail. He's behind me. And uh, it goes down, kind of meanders around a couple of trees, and it gets to the creek, makes a right, and it goes under the bridge. So I turn, go down the bridge. I don't see anybody. Then get under the northbound lane and see someone fishing right at the bank. And uh, he had a machete, I guess, a real long knife. It was one of the knife, a machete right next to me. He doesn't see me. I walk on to get between him and the knife. And then Let me stop you there. As you're doing this, you're going down there with your sidearm. How is it that you feel comfortable 
going down there to inspect the situation. I didn't see any threat. There was no threat. Yeah, I was, uh, I didn't see, first I didn't see anybody down there, and if I did, then I would talk to them. You know, just, just right. talk to them. So like, what happened? So I get to him, uh, I get between him and his knife. Why did you do that? For safety. Okay. Just for safety. And they talked to him, uh, said, how you doing? And he's a friendly guy. And uh, I asked him if he's living down the bridge. He told us that he wasn't. He told us that he was living on a road off of Fancy Bluff Road in the neighborhood. I don't remember what the road was. I told him, I said, you know, straight up, there's a bunch of stuff being stolen in this neighborhood. I'm seeing if there's anything down here. He said, oh, I haven't seen anything. Okay. We looked around. I think my dad looked at some of the tarps. He said it wasn't his stuff. Um, I'm certain that he was living under that bridge. We didn't see anything. We when left. you said you didn't see anything, what were you looking for? I was just looking for if there was any purses or if there was any equipment. What we did as soon as we left, uh, my dad called the non-emergency number and informed the police. They were aware, obviously, of what's been going on in the neighborhood and told okay. them, hey, there's a homeless person on this bridge. Check it out for us. Defense attorney Sheffield then played a recording of Greg McMichael's call to the police. We've had a lot of break-ins in this area out here, automobile break-ins. And uh, my son and I just discovered a guy. We think he may be living on the uh, Bluff Creek Bridge on 17. Sheffield appeared to be using the McMichaels' investigation of the white homeless person to signal to the jury that they were vigilant about protecting the neighborhood from all intruders and were not singling out Mr. Arbery because of his race. Do you know whether or not the subject of someone living under the Fancy Bluff Bridge, being a suspect of things happening in the neighborhood, whether that subject came up anymore over the course of the next five or six months. Yeah, there's people, it was always there, you know, it was always in the back of people's mind or something happened that you would hear, you would see it on the Facebook neighborhood page of you know, the homeless person. I mean, there's, been, there's been a homeless person around. You know, it's, it's uh, uh, that was, from from that moment forward, people knew that, that there was a homeless person under that bridge. So. Okay. Sheffield next moved on to the under-construction site that is at the center of this case. All right, now I want to ask you about 220 Satella Drive. Okay. All right. Did, did you ever hear anything about thefts or things being stolen from 220? I did. When did you hear that? The first was from my mother. What was it that you understood was stolen from 220? From my mother, and you know, I heard that there was equipment stolen off a boat. Located where? In in the in the house in two twenty still there. Okay. Do you know if you ever spoke to Matt Albenzi about it? Um, we've talked about it, but we just talked about. It. Like I said, it wasn't you know um, in great detail. You say, hey, you know, there, there's been stuff stolen out of that house, out of that boat. Said, yeah, you know. Did you know of the man who lived or who was building two twenty Satilla? I met him once, but. I didn't know. If, Did you know anything about him, about whether he was living on the property or? or uh, I knew that he stayed on the property on weekends and stuff like that. Did you ever speak to Larry English in 2019 about this stolen property? I did not. Okay. Or ask him if you could help him catch whoever had stolen his property? No. Okay. In 2020, 
Were you the victim of crime? I was. All right. When was that? January 1st. Okay, what happened? I had a pistol stolen out of my truck. And that was when? Uh, January 1st, New Year's. Okay. Do you know the circumstances of how it was stolen? Yes. I was, uh, my dad moved the vehicle for me, that, or moved the vehicle that morning between 9 and 9 to 11, 9 30, 11 30, somewhere around there. He moved it close to the side of the road to, um, to the adjacent property right on the, on the road. I came out about 11.45 to go somewhere, open the truck. The door was unlocked. I don't know if he left the vehicle unlocked or if I left it unlocked that evening and saw that my holster was sitting in the seat. Went back in and asked my dad if he moved my gun, uh, being that he moved, was in that driver's seat where the holster was. He said he did not. So I looked around the house, made sure that I didn't misplace the pistol for some unknown reason. It came to the conclusion that my pistol was stolen and called and made a report. Sheffield then played Travis McMichael's call to the police, reporting the theft of his gun. Communications operator, I need a police officer. I need to report a stolen pistol. Okay, and what's the address it was stolen from? 230 Satilla Drive. That's 230 Satilla Drive, sir? Yes, ma'am. It is curious that Mr. Sheffield spent a good deal of time questioning Travis McMichael about both his Coast Guard training in the use of force and the theft of his gun, but never asked whether it was part of his training to leave a gun in an unlocked vehicle. Perhaps this will come up on cross-examination. Were you concerned at all about the theft of your gun? Yes. Okay. Why? Well, one, I don't know who has the weapon. Um, having it stolen out of my truck. I don't know who's got it. I don't know if they know anything, what they're doing with the gun. They might harm themselves or use it to harm someone else or use it for a crime or, or uh, who knows. Did you hear of other reports of guns being stolen in the neighborhood? Yes. Do you know what it, essentially what it was that you were hearing? Oh, there was, I've heard of several vehicles being broken into and pistols or guns stolen out of those vehicles. Don't know the addresses, but it was it was common it was common talk around the neighborhood. At this time, we're moving into January of 2020. Now, no longer the fall of 2019. We haven't really discussed whether or not the crime in the neighborhood was continuing or on the rise. Can you give us a little bit of your understanding of what the level of crime was around this? Time? And across October, November, December. Yeah, so it was steady. I guess would be the best way to explain it. It was steady. Um, the house on 220 around October was when it was apparent when you were hearing that uh, Mr. English had stuff stolen out of, his, out of his boat out of there, expensive stuff. And uh, there, he put a surveillance system up and they were catching people going into the house. How did you learn about the surveillance system? Uh, once again, from my parents and so here were, from on Facebook. Okay, parents and Facebook. Yeah. Right. At this point in January of 2020, we've got crime in the neighborhood, okay? We've got suspicion in the neighborhood. 
at this point, had that at all begun to narrow into a particular person? It was starting to, yes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In this next section of his questioning, Defense Attorney Sheffield uses Travis McMichael's testimony for two purposes to seek to establish that McMichaels had a specific and legitimate suspicion and fear of the man who would later be identified as Mr. Arbery, and to seek to sully the perception of Mr. Arbery in the eyes of the jury. Did you have any experience yourself with 220 Satilla? Yes. Okay. Can you tell us when that was? It was on February 11th, okay. uh, around 7.30 in the evening. All right, tell us what you were doing on February 11th, around 7.30 evening. All right. Just got, just finished eating dinner. I uh, decided to go fill up my work car. Which is? That was a, a little Volkswagen Jetta, uh, 04, 05, somewhere around there. Instead of having to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to fill it up, I just fill it up in the evening, come back, and be done with it. Uh, left the house, turned on Satilla Drive, and started heading out of the neighborhood. As I'm going... As I drive down the neighborhood, I see someone run across the street and into the yard. That was it. In this section, Sheffield uses a satellite map and photographs to assist Travis McMichael with his descriptions. And how far back off the road was this person, would you estimate? He was close to the house, probably 20, 20, 30 feet. Did you see anything else? Yeah, so I don't have my lights on him at the time. Yeah. But as a... Uh, as I'm coming out, I've come to a stop at this point, and he is staying in the shadows, obviously trying to avoid being detected. Or okay. uh, detected. He's, lack of better terms, lurking. It's creeping. Um, wasn't in a run. It was just, just creeping through the shadows. You know, if there's a shadow running through here, he'd run with it, and then go to it, and he was staying close to the house. Okay. I, uh, I said, well, what's going on here? So I stopped, I was right at Jones Till, and I backed my vehicle up to him, turning onto that house. You said you backed your vehicle up to him. What do you mean? I'm sorry, I was back, I was putting the backside of my vehicle up Jones, and as I was doing, I was swinging my lights. Okay. Uh, on him when he was in front of that house at that time. And then I stopped, and it was obvious that he was aware that I've called him, have good, put the lights on him. Okay. So he comes out of the shadows, gets into a walk, just kind of stands up, and then run like a jog almost into the shadow that the portalette was making. What happens when he goes towards the portal? So he's 20 or 30 feet behind the portalette, coming from that house. Um, once again, obviously, he's aware that I am aware that he's there, had lights on him. I get out of the vehicle. He's trotting to me. All right, stop. Why are you getting out of the vehicle? To see what he's doing, to ask him what he's doing, maybe run him off. Okay. Um, I've never, I haven't seen seen 
before. Okay. Did he did he wave at you? No, he didn't. Did he try to talk to you? No, he didn't. Like, that's I why I was my thinking, dog you know, or anything like that. Okay. So what happened? You step out. I step out to ask him, you know, to see what's going on to, to get an idea what's happening. As he comes out of the shadows from behind that portal, it he comes directly to me. I'm out of the door, and he comes out and he pulls up his shirt and goes to reach in his pocket or waistband area, well, for his pocket. Um, I thought it was pocket at first, but it went, later on it didn't make sense. Because if you're going to reach your pocket, you would go for the pocket that's on whichever side you're on. Okay. He reaches like this. So what happened? At that I, it, it freaked me out. So once I realized what's going on, that he is doing this, and I'm under assumption that he's armed, I jump back in the vehicle. He turns around and runs into the house, the house at 220. All right. So... What did you do at that moment? Uh, well, it startled me. It, it, it freaked me out. So I I don't know if I had my phone in the vehicle or not. It wasn't there. I didn't have a gun on me. He's gone. I'm just getting the hell out of there. I just wanted to leave, make sure, because I don't know where he's at at this point. I go to jump in the, the car to take off to the house. I forget the, the parker brakes on. I stall the, truck, the vehicle out, crank the car back up, and get to turn and go back to my home. Okay. What did you do once you got to your home? Once I got home, well, I told Dad, I said, hey, there's somebody, I just caught somebody lurking at a neighborhood, neighbor house, and just went into 220. So he comes out and I'm assuming his arm and goes down the road. Okay. Hold on. Let me stop you there. When did, did you call the police? I did. All right. Yeah. Where are you when your dad starts to walk down the street? I was at my vehicle. I was at the driveway. Okay. Did you say anything to your dad? Yeah, I told him to wait. I said, hold on a second, hold on a second. I don't know what's happening. I'm assuming this guy's armed. um, And dad, he just had a stroke a couple (laughs) months earlier, two, three months earlier. And and, uh, which everything's fine, but you're concerned about him. If somebody... Does he have any other health issues? Yeah, he's got a busted hip, or uh, he's actually had a total hip replacement, and and, uh, he's had a couple heart attacks. um, Okay. So you say, Dad, wait. Yeah, wait. And he's walking on down the road. He's going on down the road. All right, what do you do? So I go in, (coughs) grab the keys to my truck, and grab one of my guns, which was at the safe, which was in the garage right there. Get out. Get down to the road where Dad is. I'm calling 911 at the time. Sheffield then plays the 911 tape. 911, what's the address of your emergency? Uh, it's Attila Drive, 230. Attila Drive. What's going on? We got a, uh, we've had a string of burglaries. Um, I was leaving the neighborhood, and I just caught a guy running into a um, house being built, two houses down from me. Do you hear the way you sound? Yes. What are we hearing? Uh, I was still, I was still scared. I was breathing heavy. Um, I was still alarmed. I guess. Um, when I turned around, he took off running into the house. Okay. What did he look like? Uh, it's a black male, red shirt, white shorts. And you said the house is being built? It's being built. Yes, ma'am. It's vacant right now. He is in the house. Okay. 
We then hear more from Travis McMichael's 911 call. It is in this next section from the call and the testimony that follows that we hear Travis McMichael suggest that the man he believes was Ahmaud Arbery may have been armed. Where are you at now? I'm going across the street in my truck watching the house. Watching the house with it right now. Right here at the door. Okay. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. One night it just startled me. Um, when I turned around, when I turned around and saw him and backed up, he reached into his pocket and ran into the house. So I don't know if he's armed or not, um, but he looked like he was acting like he was. So, uh, you know, be mindful of that. Okay. Which pocket did he reach into? Uh, left, I believe. He got. I guess he doesn't realize we're here. He's got the damn lights on right now. He's got a flashlight going through the house. Does he? Okay. So you're now surmising that the person that you saw going in the house has a flashlight now. Yes. All right. Did you come to understand that that was not what you thought? It wasn't. No. It was. Uh, <coughs> it was our neighbor Diego. It was. All right. Did they ever see or? Talk to or catch the person that had entered the house that night? No, they did not. Okay. All right. On that night, did you meet with the police ultimately? Yes, I was. I stayed where we were, and then when they arrived on scene, I stayed with. You know, All right. Do you remember the name of the officer you met with? Uh, one was Officer Rash. Okay. You said that you talked to Officer Rash? Yes. All right. Did Officer Rash show you anything? Yes, after everything was done, he showed me the video of the of what occurred. Just what what I uh, what I witnessed and, and called now one of the video of what of the individual going into the house. So from running from the portalette into the house. Yes, he's now showing you the video of this person inside the inside house. the house. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and did you watch the video? I did. Was there anything about the video that made you feel anything whatsoever? Yeah, so having that experience, like I just said, that, you know, with him drawing the, or acting like he was drawing the weapon and then running into the house, and then seeing the video that he's walking walking around so nonchalant in that, that house kind of, it startled me a little bit that having that just happen, just catching him, creeping through that front yard and obviously trying to uh, avoid detection and then doing what he did there and then going into the house and then walking around in there like it's no big deal was was alarming. Again, it is notable that Mr. McMichael made a wrong assumption about who was in the house with a flashlight. It was, in fact, his neighbor. 
It is also worth noting the fear and adrenaline that is present in Travis McMichael's call on that 911 tape, and worth keeping it in mind when we examine his encounter with Mr. Arbery on February 23rd. We will begin that examination on our next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. This episode was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs>